Welcome to What You Need When You Need It, a bi-monthly podcast by Seattle Credit Union on relevant topics affecting our city and our state and ways to positively impact your financial health. No matter where you are in your life, Seattle Credit Union is here to help you prosper. Hi, welcome to What You Need When You Need It. I'm Matt. I'll be your moderator today. COVID-19 has pulled at the seams of our communities, our country, and the world. One of the many facets of life that has been challenged is financial stability. We wanted to contribute something positive, something that might be helpful to those trying to find their way through the current financial landscape. So today, we're speaking with three people who are successfully navigating the financial repercussions of this difficult time in Seattle. First up, we have Earl, a Soul Cycle instructor and transplant to the area from New York City. Thanks for joining us, Earl. Thank you guys so much for having me on. I'm excited to chat as well. So I grew up in St. Thomas, Virgin Islands, and I would visit New York during the summers because my brother was attending Hofstra University. And I just knew that as soon as I came out of high school, I wanted to head straight to New York. Mm -hmm. And that's what I did. So I moved at 17 and I spent 10 years of my life there. I did St. John's University, and then I worked at a few different places in journalism. I worked at the Associated Press, um, Nation's Restaurant News, Patch.com with AOL. And then I fell in love with a completely different industry when I took a SoulCycle class, and that was in 2013. Hmm. I decided to completely switch careers, and I jumped into being a fitness coach in 2017. And then they were opening the very first SoulCycle in Seattle. So as soon as I came out of training to be a coach, they moved me right to Seattle. And it's been a wild ride since. Wow. So you've made some pretty significant moves in your life. What was it like coming to the West Coast? It was really a blessing because it's not usually normal for somebody so new to get moved to open a new studio. So it was a great learning experience. And I think it was the first time for me as well that I experienced a culture shock too, because it was such a mm. different environment. I've never been this far away from home. So the West Coast was huge. What was your thought process around the move? And were your hopes and expectations met once you got here? When I was living in New York, I it's like one of my first loves and mm-hmm. I never saw myself leaving the city. Mm-hmm. So at the time when I entered the training, they had mentioned the possibility of relocation, but I really wasn't open to it at the time. Um, but the training is about 10 weeks and about halfway through it, I was going through a breakup and I was just like reevaluating my, you know, entire life. And so I was like, you know, if there would be a time for a change, I feel like it would be now. And I, mm-hmm. I really felt deeply that it was the right move for me to make. And in terms of what I was expecting, I was mm-hmm. really bent on coming in and, um, just doing as much as I can to build community. And that's literally exactly what I did. And my expectations were exceeded in that department because Hmm. I was surprised at how quickly we found success in this market and the people. And like, it was amazing. That's fantastic. I love hearing about decisions being made through feeling and intuition. So connections were being made. That's great. What kind of financial considerations were you met with as part of leaving a large urban center like New York City, but moving to another one? There was a lot that went behind that. And I think that (laughs) what people don't really see 
when they're looking at, you know, what they might call like a huge leap of faith is on the flip side of things. It's like a lot of really scary uh, decisions. Like I Mm -hmm. had never again lived in a place where the primary mode of transportation was car. Like in New York, you can take the train anywhere you want. And then in St. Thomas, we drive on the left. (laughs) Oh my gosh. It's it's very... (laughs) It's very different. So I was just like, okay, well, I'm going to still have to figure out how to get around. So you were contemplating whether to buy a bike or a car or figure out a bus route. I just ultimately decided, I was like, you know what? I feel like I can manage without a car. I'll figure it out. And that's what I did. And so I just had to um, do some budgeting in terms of like, not only my finances, but my time, because it just took longer to get to certain places without having a car. Makes sense. Good planning on your part. What about a place to live? How did you think through that piece? I will say that New York is definitely more expensive than Seattle. Here, I was able to have more space and eventually like, get a dog. So that was nicer. But there, it's just, there are different things. Like, uh, you know, food is more expensive in different areas here and transportation as well. So it was just a little bit of budgeting for all of those. Speaking of living space and you know, the idea of budgeting based on your definition of want versus need. I'm curious if your view of what you want versus what you need has changed over the years. Oh, absolutely. I think it's also just like getting older and realizing, you know, what is really important. I never used to be really careful about budgeting for vacation. That was something that I was just like, you know, it'll happen if it happens. And when I moved here, I realized because of like how taxing the work that I was doing and like we were pretty much working seven days a week and not really having a lot of time off that I needed to be actually intentional about not just setting money aside for a vacation, but also like setting the time aside for it. And so now that's something that I... um put into a savings. But, you know, with the pandemic happening now, that's no longer a need, (laughs) you know, the want. And then coming from the corporate world into the fitness world, Mm -hmm. I would have to spend money on clothes to like come to the office and like do things like that. And like, when I switched over to teaching, I'm like always in sweats. And so I didn't have to shop for clothes at all at this point because <laughs> it's like I was just living in sweats that it's actually nice to be wearing work of the clothes now. So, And the rest of us are catching up to you. Uh, it, with... Yeah, I think I started that trend. So speaking of sweats, one of the many detrimental side effects of COVID is that we find ourselves in a recession. And if my math is correct, this would be your second, right? Because you were basically in the midst of moving to New York during the first one. So how are you handling that? How has your past experience shaped the way you're facing the current climate? One of the biggest things that I've learned, especially from my mom, is, you know, the power of doing all the things and working hard. And so I would say that even in college, you know, working with my first job, a retail job at DSW, and then still doing a million other things in terms of community service. Hmm. And then I would take on various like modeling jobs. And then I picked up photography. And funny enough, I um, speaking of like side hustles and adjusting, like yesterday I picked up my camera and I did like a photography gig. So Hmm. it's just like being able to reach down into your pocket and pull out all the things that you have. And I think that's the cool thing about our 
millennials are not afraid to try new things. That's true. And a willingness to adapt matters. And due to COVID, SoulCycle was closed, right? How has that affected your industry or how about your peers? It's really, really sad to see my peers and a lot of my colleagues, how they've dealt with, you know, this huge shift and adjustment. Mm -hmm. It's been, because, you know, speaking about (laughs) the choices that we made, it was already a sacrifice to join something that's more of a cause. And then Mm -hmm. to have, you know, something that you put your whole life into, specifically my colleagues who started their own companies and their own small businesses and to see them have to shut down or Mm. to lay off a whole bunch of people. It's been really hard to see that, but I will say that there's always a silver lining and I have been seeing such inspirational um, decisions being made across the board, not just in Seattle, like the whole network of people that I've met throughout my fitness career a lot of people are turning inwards and actually becoming their own bosses, which is kind of cool to see. So people are starting their own coaching, online coaching companies. I have a really good friend here, Victoria, another fellow soul cycle instructor, and she started a really cool online platform called Endorphins, where it actually allows other fitness instructors to come on. And it's really cool because They can interact with the people online in a different way, more than just like a Zoom call would allow you to do so. And so Mm -hmm. that's something that really gets me excited because it's like, that's the cool creativity of like turning something and realizing like, oh, I can actually invest more into myself and into people by owning my own business. And that was really inspiring to see. And um, a lot of other people are just finding different ways to make ends meet, whether that's like working two other side hustles and still doing some Zoom classes online, which you'll see a lot of that. And then, you know, same with myself. For me personally, like I have not adapted to teaching online because it just is not the same for me. Again, my Mm -hmm. whole goal was like to build community and I just can't find that connection through Zoom. But, you know, I have found other ways to do it. So it's been really cool to see the different creative ways that people are kind of having to pull from places they never thought they would have to before. So you're currently not working for SoulCycle, but you are working. I'm sure that's been a difficult adjustment. Can you tell us about how you've done it? I transitioned into a fitness coaching role. However, that does not define every part of who I am. So I still have the degree. So I still write for Bellevue Lifestyle Magazine, and I've Mm. been doing a lot of freelance work with them. I started my own blog and picking up photography gigs. And then a big part of what's been really helpful um, right now are influencing jobs on Instagram and on Hmm. socials. So those have been, you know, monumental in this time because everything is virtual. Side hustling is an amazing skill and kind of a millennial specialty, maybe because you have adapted to a somewhat insecure economy, you know? You have spent the majority of your adult life in an economy that is either recovering from a recession or in one. Yeah, side hustling. I think it's a must if you are going to be able to try to supplement you know, your lifestyle and the choices that you're making to have a mission and a cause versus having just a steady income. Looking back, are there things you would have done differently? I would definitely have to say you know, student loans are the great cloud that Mm. covers a lot of 
my decision making when it comes to finances and budgeting. Mm -hmm. It's just because, you know, like I mentioned, I went to St. John's University, which is a great school. Um, but, you know, at the time I was like paying upwards of 47000 a year. I had some financial aid, not very much, some scholarship, not very much. And it was just, you know, something that I knew that I wanted to do. But looking back, I absolutely would have went to um, a cheaper school <laughs> and just kind of like done that differently. You know, I feel like I would have loved to be able to put a down payment on a home by now. But because of student loans, it's like I still have to rent and my savings, it's like limited in that mm -hmm. regard. And I think just in terms of, again, from personal experience, in terms of career goals versus personal fulfillment, I decided that I would rather work a job that may not pay as much money as, you know, a typical corporate job with a degree that I earned versus actually making a difference in somebody's life. And that's something that fulfills me. So I decided to take that sacrifice. And I think that I see a lot of my peers doing the same thing. They're not really willing to sacrifice their personal fulfillment versus having a typical nine to five. And um, it's kind of like setting us back in a sense. Yeah, Earl, I think we've all probably been faced with those difficult financial choices. And, you know, a lot of the time people don't think about credit unions and how they look out for the community around them. What SCU does is offer the community loans to the immediate surrounding community to help out folks like you, me, and a host of other millennials who have been in the second recession who feel like they need to make those sacrifices. And a loan with pretty competitive interest rates and savings account tools and financial planning tools that SCU offers on seattlecu.com can really help ease the burdens of having to make those decisions and can really alleviate the difficulty. I'm curious too, as an artist, a writer, and a photographer, do you have any methods of negotiating that you could recommend or any tips for people side hustling out there like you to make sure they're getting fair pay? Yes, absolutely. I think that that should be something we should learn in school, honestly. But yeah. I've learned the power of networking. And it's been such a blessing for me to reach out to my peers and have open conversations. Because if you find like a few people in different industries that are willing that you feel like you can trust to have those conversations, I think it's going to be a game changer for anybody that's trying to negotiate, pay, or enter the freelance world, because I got some great advice from different people about, you know, what is fair, what you should ask for. And it kind of helped me to prepare myself and have a script beforehand. Mm. It's like you put it out there and you see what comes back. So I would definitely say networking has really helped me in that regard and having a script and then not being afraid of rejection. That's great advice. I think it's really interesting how much you look to community for knowledge and support. Sometimes just being able to talk about your finances can really help you understand how to handle them. One of the things that Seattle Credit Union is really passionate about is developing financial literacy for more people in more communities. And I'm really happy to hear that's something you've developed on your own. People shy away from it sometimes, and I think that can be really dangerous. Absolutely. And that's why I was excited to join this segment, because 
we don't typically have these opportunities to talk about or be transparent. Awesome. And in the interest of transparency, what are you saving for now? Is it still vacation or something else? I think, I mean, I'm honestly still in the heart of figuring it out, but I will say that it's been easy to just redirect necessity, you know, breathe that creativity. And I just had to get really creative with how I am saving my money now. And so while budgeting for vacation isn't the priority anymore, budgeting for my own business is. And so Hmm. the money that I am bringing in, I'm trying to like make sure that I invest all of that into, you know, getting better software so I can, you know, release um, email templates to my people and like different things that are going to help build my own versus depending on someone else. And I think that that's also been a blessing of 2020 is, you know, realizing that we do have more power than we give ourselves credit for in terms of starting our own things. And in terms of tips, I will say that I have also learned the power of goal setting. So Hmm. typically I would just have something in my mind and like, that's what I'm going to do. And I just learned that, you know, it's better to really write things out because if you have it down, you can always reference it back and like come back to like, okay, this is where I'm at in December and here's where I want to be in March, you know? And so that's been really great. And using, there's a lot of really great um, free tools online. Like I'm sure you guys, you know, use or heard of mint, which is a great budgeting app. Um, It kind of like helps to show where your money is going to. And when I first downloaded it last year, I definitely wasn't shocked to see that, you know, a huge portion of my money was going into eating out (laughs) because (laughs) I just was always on the go and never took time to cook. And another blessing of 2020 is like, you know, I can cook all the things that I want now and not have to spend that money um, out. And that's, I saved so much money um, just doing that. And that's a small thing, you know, that Hmm. you, you don't realize. You sound like a person who's good at finding silver linings, you know, the power of positivity, and, and also, you know, taking a moment to give gratitude, not only to, for the silver linings, but also for yourself, um, which I think all of us probably at this time could could use a little bit more of um, just a little bit. Of, yeah. Yeah. Just creating moments of gratitude for oneself, because making it through this year in particular is <laughs> enough. Yeah, I think that especially I know everybody does it, but. I know millennials are really, really tough on themselves and it's easy to see why because of the expectations and the pressures that are facing people during this time. But having a moment of gratitude, it will absolutely change the trajectory of your thoughts and it can either you know, uplift you or inspire somebody else who sees you doing it. It's inspiring to hear someone talk about money in this really heartfelt, positive way, despite this year and everything that's going on. Thank you for that. Before you have to go, is there anything else you want to share with our listeners? Yeah, I think that it's important to note that you're not just crunching out numbers. Like everything that we do, whether we realize it or not, stems from emotion. And so what I try to remind myself is, am I making a fear-based decision (laughs) Or am I making a heart-based decision? Mm. And I think that that's something that only an individual can decide for. And it's important to 
at the end of the day, be able to go to bed and know that you are making the best choice for you because it's your life when we only have one of them. This has been quite the year that we've all had to reevaluate everything. And the fact that, you know, you've been able to make it to this place, you know, just keep rooting for yourself and being your biggest cheerleader and lean on the people in your community. Um, and then don't be afraid of having the hard conversations, you know, nine times out of 10, if you're struggling with something, I'm sure that there's somebody that can relate to what you're going through. So reach out and, you know, don't be afraid to ask for that help if you need it. Thank you so much, Earl. Moving thousands of miles, changing careers, communities, lifestyles, maintaining your attitude through so much of that transition and in the midst of two recessions, it's wonderful. And while change is kind of just part of everyone's life, it can really look different in different lives. Even people the same age in the same city can have such a different background and so many different kinds of change that they've adapted to. Stay with us as we have two more guests to share their stories. You're listening to What You Need When You Need It, a bi-monthly podcast by Seattle Credit Union on relevant topics affecting our city and our state and ways to positively impact your financial health. Thanks for tuning in. Meet Jess. Her family emigrated from the Philippines to Seattle in the 70s, a few years before she was born. I'm Jess Estrada. I was born and raised here in the Seattle area. I've probably worked in digital media now for about 10 years. And I went to school at the University of Washington, so go dogs. <laughs> and I'm currently a digital media manager or digital communications manager, I should say, at a local investment and incubation company. And uh, happy to be here as, and talk through just life in this pandemic as a I consider myself somewhat of an older millennial. I'm 37 now. So um, just experiencing this crazy world that we're living in. Yeah, certainly. I think we can all relate to that. And um, we'd love to hear a bit about what managing finances as a millennial means to you um, from specifically having an adulthood marked by not one, but two major recessions, each one progressively deeper than the last and, uh, you know, to financial education and expectations from youth onward that, you know, you feel may differ from generations other than, than ours. Yeah. Uh, so my first job was out of college. Um, I got, I think right as the recession, the first recession was starting in my, mm. at least in my generation. Um, and so I feel very lucky, uh, knock on wood in the sense that I've been able to just be employed in this recession. And I think just recognizing that that's not the case for many others. That being said, both the first one and this, this current one that we're in has just been really interesting for different stages in my life. And just being aware of the things that you have to budget for, whereas before it may have been for me, rent and just getting bills paid um, and also trying to pay down my student loans. Um, and now with my husband and I just trying to make sure that, um, you know, we can take care of our mortgage um, and the things that we have now uh, as a couple, and also just be able to take care of our families um, and anything that might happen with COVID or just as our, as our parents and grandparents age, just being able to support our families in that way. And also, um, we currently live in a townhome. And so, just trying to buy a home in, in this very competitive market and I think budgeting has been, at least for me, something that I've had to learn kind of on my own uh, along the years and wasn't something that I grew up 
having a good model around. And so just kind of picking up for myself, like what works for me and just I, what I appreciate about just millennials in general is I think we're, we're a lot more open to talking about personal finance and making that less of a stigma or something that we just prefer not to talk about. Yeah, certainly. Talking about money is such a great way to address financial literacy, right? In terms of budgeting, Jess, what were some tricks that worked for you along the way that you may be able to share with our listeners? Um, I don't know that I have anything special in my my bag of <laughs> tricks for personal finance, but really just uh, good old Excel has been kind of my go-to. I think without having a history of financial literacy in my life, I, I've definitely gone through waves where I've fallen off the wagon and not updated myself as much as possible or or just gotten into ruts, so to speak, as far as mm-hmm. being aware of uh, where my savings and my finances are at. But I'm also just thankful for <laughs> for Google for allowing you know us to be able to search for anything, including mm-hmm. asking the questions that I think I'm getting at for the things I really want to know uh, around personal finance and just trying to uh, read uh, personal finance books. Do you have a favorite book or resource? Kristen Wong wrote a book that I really enjoyed. It was kind of like a personal finance 101, but didn't make me feel like I didn't know what I was doing. It was, hmm. it was, it felt very supportive um, and non-judgy, uh, which I think some traditional personal finance books, at least to me, came across in that way. So certainly there's this idea that everyone has this baseline knowledge about finances. And in my experience, at least that's just not true. At Seattle Credit Union, we believe that those little moments of realization, like I need to create a budget or I should start tracking my spending, can catapult you on toward prosperity. You mentioned that you're trying to buy a house right now. In Seattle, that can be a stressful, difficult process. So I'm wondering what you've learned from your experience so far. For sure. Um, I feel like when we first went into uh, lockdown in March, I, I remember looking just kind of casually at the market and seeing a lot of the prices come down and just, I feel like for many years, the Seattle market has been very competitive and the demand has been so high that inventory just never seems to, to go beyond being very limited. And so while still limited, I saw prices go down, but lately it's picked way back up and we've, uh, we've put one offer down and we thought we were kind of in a pretty good uh, range above the asking price, but we're just immediately outbid significantly mm-hmm. by uh, a couple of other offers. And I think for that one, there was maybe like eight offers total, which mm-hmm. I think is actually kind of low from what I hear from friends who are in the real estate um, industry. And, you know, I think you can expect upwards of a dozen or so offers on any given house. Prices are just very crazy. And so it just feels like my husband and I, you know, we, whether it's casually looking or actually seriously putting an offer down, I mean, we're grateful to have friends who are in the real estate industry, but just paying attention on, on kind of the, the home watching side of like what kind of home we want and then understanding who we are as home buyers of, you know, whether or not a fixer upper is for us or is there something, or would we prefer something that we can move into right away and understanding ourselves in that sense and then aligning our finances uh, and the way that we're able to structure offers in that sense. And so I feel like it's been a very humbling experience the last, at least with that specific offer. Hmm. Um, And 
from what we can tell, it, it looks like this market will be this way for a while. Um, so we're just trying to get smarter about sharpening our offers, getting the way that you know finance packaging is set up for any offers that we do want to put in in the future, but also just kind of understanding what kind of home and where we want to be as, as homeowners. A lot of us are conditioned throughout childhood, adolescence, and adulthood to believe that home ownership is fundamental, that it's this necessary part of life. But in reality, to make that transition from renting to owning, so many things need to happen. It can get complicated and even overwhelming if you don't have the right tools and knowledge. SEU, for instance, can give you what you need when you need it with a whole array of home buying and home refinancing products. It sounds like you and your husband have learned a lot about this through experience. Yeah, I think going into this townhome, it's definitely, this is our first home. And so definitely changed my view of how I spend and what I want to save for just because you, the sense of ownership is very different as a renter versus an owner. And so just noticing that you do have to pay for things that you could have just called maintenance to fix uh, as a renter <laughs> before um, and making sure that you budget for that. And so thankfully we've been in this townhome for a couple of years. So we've gotten a little bit the hang of, of being a, a homeowner in that sense. But I think in preparing to look for our next home and in this pandemic and how that's changed is there's a lot of, you know, things that we were budgeting for like travel um, or, spending for uh, hanging out with family and whatnot that we're just not spending that money on um, or even close to where to work. We're both working from home. Um, mm -hmm. And while I, I could be better about not shopping so much while working <laughs> from home um, and, you know, having the experience of trying to put an offer in, in this very competitive market, I think you just have, at least for us, it just, it's, it's a stronger desire to want to save more for your future and just kind of think about, you know, your next steps in life, um, which is exciting in a sense, but definitely has a huge impact on how we look at our budget now. Yeah, certainly. Was there a moment that you can recall where you saw your efforts paying off? Just in, in terms of budgeting, is there a moment that sticks out where a light bulb went off and you said, oh, yeah, because of these things that I've done, um, you know, this is an experience that I've had? Yeah. So even just the practice of staying in tune in my finances, whether that's over Excel or just being conscious of what's going in versus what's going out. I reached that milestone of paying off my student loans. Congratulations. Probably, thank you. Um, it was a few years ago now, but that was definitely something that was really exciting for me because as many others out there, many millennials, um, we have that looming over our heads for so much longer mm -hmm. than we are actually in school. And um, the system just sucks in that sense. But for me, being able to pay that off and I, I honestly paying attention to my finances and just making the extra effort to pay off as much of it as I could over time got me to that point. And so I was just really excited to pay that off. And then, you know, just paying off a credit card uh, that you have built up um, over time is always really exciting as well. But I'd say mm -hmm. uh, the student loan and paying that off was definitely a big one for me. Major kudos for paying off your student loans. Debt is obviously a major issue for so many people, and those high interest rates can defeat even the best financial plans. 
it's a big part of why Seattle Credit Union is rolling out a balance transfer promo this year. It gives people a way to just lower those rates, get their payments under control, and pay them off in a realistic amount of time. To our listeners, if you're interested, go to seattlecu.com slash balance transfer to learn a little bit more. One more time, that's seattlecu.com slash balance transfer and find out about our promo that's running through March 31st. So Jess, I, it sounds like, you know, you are practiced and in tune with your finances. And I imagine um, it, it sounds as if you have been for some time. I wonder if you could take us back to your early adulthood for a second and let us know if, um, like, did you start practicing this in early adulthood? And if not, would you have done anything differently? And if not, what tips would you give to this upcoming generation about really quick hit financial tips that can set them up for success in the long term? Yeah. Um, so I moved out of my, my family home when I was 18 to move up to, to be close to UW and just be able to walk to campus. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'd say it started as early as then. It was very kind of what I consider unsophisticated compared to uh, something great like an app um, or resources to help you track your finances in that way. But an Excel spreadsheet was just my way, uh, way back at 18 of um, just tracking where I was. And then over time, I, I kind of expanded what I was doing on the spreadsheet to just make sure that I knew kind of where I was at. But the root was always just making sure I could support myself um, and take care of what I needed to. Um, and that's probably the advice that I give to the next generations is to just start as early as possible. Again, I love that we've kind of gotten to a place where people can talk more freely about personal finance without feeling weird about it or fearful or have a stigma. We just, we have so much available to us just on the internet um, and through places like Seattle Credit Union who are openly out there trying to help educate um, all of us and just being better and more financially literate um, and just taking advantage of um, the education resources that are out there and somewhat free um, for the most part as early as you can in life just to understand um, where you are at the current moment and how you can prepare for the next stages in your life. Certainly. You know, one thing we haven't talked about is that you've lived your entire life in the Seattle area, but your parents did not. I'd love to learn more about how being part of an immigrant family shaped your personal view of money and financial planning. Yeah. So I feel like I mentioned or said the word stigma and and fear, insecurity around personal finance um, Mm -hmm. or lack of knowledge, I should say, in financial literacy a lot in, in our conversation today. And I think a lot of that, at least for me, just stems from not having those conversations around the dinner table or, um, hearing it in, in my family home growing up. And I'm Filipina American. My, my family immigrated here in the seventies to the Seattle area. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, uprooting your family from one country to another is essentially starting completely over. And I think many immigrant families or families of color who, at least from like my parents' generation and my grandparents' generation, they really just did everything they could to one, get their footing and survive in a completely new country mm-hmm. and two, set their children up for success. Um, and just to be everything that they, that they couldn't be, um, because of immigration or for whatever their circumstance was. And 
I feel like I felt a lot of for many years and even to this day, I still feel like there's a lot I don't know because of what I didn't have around me growing up. And it, for a long time, it felt like being uh, behind or feeling mm-hmm. like I had a lot of catching up to do. And, and, and finance is a very, uh, in certain ways, it's very much like speaking a different language or learning a different language. And while it's so close to many of us and just how we live our lives, it's just something that can be very intimidating. And when you, when you feel like you're already 10 steps behind, that's another layer of intimidation and fear that makes it hard to confront or admit that you have a lot to learn. Um, but again, I'm, I'm grateful that there isn't so much of that anymore and that myself and other people of color, we just kind of encourage each other to break past um, our, our family's past experiences and our own experiences with our parents and grandparents and just kind of take charge of of our lives including being more financially literate so i'm i'm proud in many senses but that's kind of like i definitely look back and see a lot of where the fear and insecurity comes from (laughs) Mm -hmm. it's so interesting to hear how different families and different stories evolve you may have felt like the stigma around talking about money was harmful and yet despite all the challenges moving to the other side of the world your family made it And through your commitment to educating yourself and paying attention to your financial habits, you made it too. I know we only have a few minutes left, but I want to end by asking you where you see yourself going, like in the next year and then maybe in the next 10 years. Um, Well, a year from now, I hope that we have found our home and won the competitive uh, offers for it. But uh, yeah, definitely, hopefully uh, have a new home. Um, Not that... You know, we love being in our townhome, but we're, I think we're just ready to have a little bit more space. Um, so that's kind of first to come to mind. Um, and I still have a lot of personal finance goals for my, myself and just kind of being better about understanding what accounts I should be spreading my finances across. Um, and I've always wanted to understand and get into just learning investing in just how I can make my money grow even more over time. Um, and so for me, 10 years from now, I hope that that's something that's just a natural part of my life and that I've gone through the process of learning all of that um, and experiencing it. Your commitment to learning and education is admirable. Um, it's, it seems to be a through line through the conversation. It's, uh, it's scary. I'm definitely no personal finance expert by any means, but I do want to learn because it's very, I mean, it affects all of us uh, in our everyday lives. Awesome. Thank you, Jess, for joining us today. Thank you for having me. So Earl followed his heart from one city and career to another, transforming his financial needs to meet his changing passions. And Jess, whose life is, by all accounts, pretty stable, found her financial awakening to be really in the way that she approached money, deciding that, unlike her parents, she would talk openly about it, explore her options, research it widely, and use all the tools at her disposal. Then there's Rudy Willingham, a local Seattle artist and business owner who turned his passion into his work. Thank you for having me. Let me first off say I never in my life thought I'd be giving financial advice on a podcast, but here we are. (laughs) Well... Rudy, we're glad to have you. Could you tell us a little bit about yourself and your life here in Seattle? 
My name's Rudy. I'm an artist, DJ from Seattle, probably best known for my cutout art or street art on Instagram and TikTok. Um, I've owned uh, my own little business for about a year and a half, um, making social content for brands and also selling my artwork. Um, I've lived in the area of my whole life, so I've seen it expand and grow and get super crazy. And uh, so, yeah. Yeah, I mean... I think that's, uh, you know, one of the reasons we wanted to have you on the show that so many millennials in particular are doing side hustles, opening up their own business, finding ways to be self-sufficient um, outside of the traditional nine to five job. And, you know, we're curious about hearing from you about how that's impacted your overall finances and like your financial outlook. Yeah, I think, well, you mentioned like side hustles and I think that I've been, I've been side hustling for, you know, 10 years. I think like with coming out of college, it's kind of hard to work in a nine to five and make enough money to like afford to live here. So I've been kind of forced uh, to do like a bunch of side hustles. Um, I had like a, a DJ business, a drone photography business, uh, do freelance writing whenever I could. And I think, I've tried to always turn my hobbies into some sort of money-making endeavor. And then, you know, my business that I'm running now, like started as a side hustle. And, you know, I would recommend anyone trying to start a business, do it on the side first, make sure it works and really take your time with it. Yeah. yeah. You know, like Rudy, we got a stat here. CNBC is saying that 64% of millennials say that they have a side hustle. So you're very much not alone. But, you know, for you, it sounds like you turn your hobbies into revenue streams. Mm -hmm. Do you think that, you know, especially in a city like Seattle, is that an expectation or a necessity for us to get by and, and afford things like basic cost of living? I think in Seattle, you know, I don't mean to oversimplify things, but everyone that I know that works in healthcare, finance, or tech does like pretty well. And then if you're doing something else, like if you're, trying to be an artist like me, you have to kind of do other stuff. So like, you know, the side hustles, I think if you're passionate about them, they don't quite feel like work. And uh, yeah, you can make some extra cash. So you grew up here in Seattle, your family has roots here, and yet you still feel like you can't really rely on one source of income. Do you think that part of your outlook is a result of having experienced a shifting economic landscape? One that's totally different from what your parents grew up in? Well, let me start by saying, I don't know how old you are, but I graduated college like right during the 2008 financial crisis. And growing up had this idea, like you get good grades, you go to college and then you get out and somebody just hands you a job and you just like make money and buy a house. And it's like, sweet, you know? And then I graduated and you're like, wait, like, where's the job? Where's the money? Like everything is not, what I thought it was. And I think like now, you know, so like, yeah, graduated during one financial crisis and then trying to start a business during another. Yeah. I think like it's, there's so much uncertainty. I think like growing up, you thought the world was stable and the economy and society was like this thing that couldn't be broken. But like, especially now you're like, it feels like things are kind of just like hanging on by a thread. Well, the pandemic and current economic crisis are serious. That's for sure. 
for some of our listeners out there who may be in need of a small business loan or are maybe looking to bridge the gap until a federal stimulus reaches your hands, Seattle Credit Union is here to help. We really believe in supporting everyone in the community we're a part of in the good times and the tough ones. So don't count yourself out. It's always important to see what might be possible. So back to you, Rudy, and your admirable efforts to have your own business in these times. And I think maybe that's kind of why I've always tried to diversify my skill sets. So like when we, I first started my business and things weren't going as well as I wanted, I could pick up DJ gigs. Or if you know, if you have a bunch of different kind of skills, it just gives you more options and like you're not as vulnerable to like a big like meltdown. Yeah. I don't know if I'm like used to it, but just kind of like living in financial uncertainty and like fear is kind of like almost normal now. That's a crazy phrase, isn't it? And yet it's good to feel resilient, if not by choice, by necessity. So do you have tips or direction based on your life experience, maybe for people who are coming of financial age now, maybe in Seattle or an analogous city? Seattle's an expensive place to rent or buy. You know, how, how do you handle that? I think my wife and I have always valued like location more than the amount of space. You really don't need that much space. So if you can kind of like pare it down and pare down like your belongings or whatever, you can kind of get prices that aren't too bad. And you can like, we live in West Seattle, you can find these like little outskirts that are like close enough in Seattle, but you're not kind of like, you know, I'm not in the heart of Ballard or downtown. I mean, I think one thing the pandemic has shown is like, you don't need to spend, like you can't go anywhere. You can't travel. You can't spend money. Like Mm -hmm. just go to the beach, go for a walk. You know, I think one thing that's helped us a lot is we hired a financial planner for about six months uh, when I first started my business. And it's like just tracking your money. I know it's so boring to say, just Mm -hmm. tracking your money every month, put it, making a plan. That way you don't have to like decide like, you don't have to guess. So I think like living simply and especially living simply when times are good so that when times are bad, you have some money saved up. Mm-hmm. So you look at your wants and your needs, and it sounds like you're willing to really pare down your needs because ultimately your big want is to pursue art. So you carefully plan and budget with all that in mind. Yeah, it's so boring, but it's so true. It's just like make more money than you spend. I guess but, that's kind of an exercise in, in delayed gratification, right? Was there, was there like a moment where you saw your planning paying off that you can share with us? I think just the fact that like we made it through like the first months of my business, like I'm just like being really tight with our money and saving up before that, you know, I think just making it through that stretch was like, oh my God, like we couldn't have done it if we didn't do these things or whatever. And before you're going to make any like big life decision, like a business, we hired a planner like four months in advance and we had like everything like figured out. And, you know, if you're thinking about starting a business to making some big life change, I would say like, don't be risky, (laughs) really plan it out. And like, yeah, it takes like some bravery to start a business. But like, if you're planned it out, you don't need to be that brave. If you're having to be too brave, maybe you should wait. I haven't heard anyone say it that way, but that's logic speaking, right? I guess so, yeah. So Rudy, now that you know, you got a couple things going on, um, you have your business up and running, uh, you know, that's continuing to go on. Like, What are the next couple financial goals, short or long term, that you have in mind? And how are you planning on getting there? You know, I, I don't like 
have like a hard one. I just want to like keep doing my business and keep doing what I love and like be able to provide for my family. Um, I think that's one thing that's a little different about like our generation as, you know, I don't mean to oversimplify her, but it seems like previous generations was like, if you had a good job and money and like we're providing for your family, like that was good and enough. And I think like our generation is really looks for meaning in their work. And like, it's not enough to just make money. Like you want to feel good about what you're doing and be passionate about it. I don't have no plans of like retiring at 50 or any of that. I just, I wanted to make enough money to like keep doing what I love to do and provide for my family. Yeah. So like keep fueling that passion and maintain stability for the life that you're living now. Exactly. Exactly. Like, yeah, man. Yeah. I'm a simple, I'm a simple guy of simple needs, you know, <laughs> be happy and make enough yeah. to get by. Yeah. I think uh, I feel so cliche, but like finding something you love to do is like amazing. And it will enable you to make more money because you can kind of outwork people because if you're doing what you love, it's not really work and you don't really ever have to stop. So you can just like spend more hours doing it than other people. And you can like, move ahead. Cool. Well, Rudy, thank you so much for taking some time to sit down with us. Um, you know, we're, we're really looking forward to seeing what you put out there on TikTok and Instagram next. And yeah, well, oh, one more piece of financial advice is to spend as much money as you can on my website, rudyprints.com. <laughs> Rudy, thank you so much for joining us. I hope your business continues to prosper despite the downturn and any other curveballs this world is going to throw at millennials. It's been fascinating talking to three such different people, all tackling the second recession of their adult life, all with different wants and needs, but all employing a lot of the same tactics, a desire to expand their financial knowledge and skill sets, a commitment to creating budgets tracking spending, and a willingness to use new tools. We hope this has been helpful for our listeners. And thank you so much for tuning in and for your interest in developing your financial knowledge. Everyone here at Seattle Credit Union is rooting for you and your prosperity. This has been a What You Need When You Need It podcast by Seattle Credit Union, Seattle's partner in growth and prosperity. To submit a topic for consideration, please visit seattlecu.com slash podcast. Seattle Credit Union is federally insured by NCUA, an equal housing opportunity lender.